Hey everybody, we want to start off this episode by saying that Not If I Reboot You First stands with Black Lives Matter and against the systemic brutality of the police system. We may not have said much explicitly on our social media, but that's because numbers-wise, me and Lindsay have bigger platforms on our personal accounts than on the podcast account. Between us, we've given hundreds of dollars to as many charities as we can, and we intend to continue doing so as long as we are able. Earlier, we announced that we would be celebrating Pride through June, and that's still our intention. But we have to say right now that Pride was started by the brave actions of trans women of color, and we wouldn't be here today without them. So we felt we'd be in remiss if we didn't do something to honor them beyond just donations. But then we figured that the last thing anyone needs right now is a pair of white people telling you how they think the narrative of black queer women should have been twisted. The best thing we can do in our platform is elevate black queer voices, so while our doors have always and will always be open to guests, we are especially reiterating that we would love to have you if you are a black queer podcaster who has an idea to reboot, adapt, or sequelize a property, and if you have that, then you're more than welcome here. This isn't just for June either, it's an open invitation for you to come here at any time. If you have a podcast or a YouTube channel or another thing that you want us to promote, then we will happily pop it into our friendship promo free of charge as always. And if we ever say something that we shouldn't have, including something said in this very statement, then let us know and we'll correct it as soon as possible. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First. It's a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fan fiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she her pronouns. I'm Tanner, I use they them, and it's especially fanficy this month because it's Pride Month. Yay! Because <laughs> you know the, the the fan fan fiction makes you gay. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, what fanfic turned you gay? <laughs> well, would the tutors count? Because there's so much boobage coming from Natalie Dormer on that show. I mean, I don't think you needed a fanfic for that. You can just watch the show. Yeah. Well, I'm going with some of the oldest of fanfic that developed over time that has a fairly modern reinterpretation. Uh, we're doing Song of Achilles. Yay! I didn't know he could sing. Of course, most Greeks could sing. I what sort of know. man were you if you couldn't sing? Or write poetry? <laughs> Alright, Athenians. It's time for the greatest display of manhood we have. Joining the Glee Club. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of mandatory if you didn't want to piss off Dionysus. Because he would do things to your dogs. Yeah. They'd explode or get eaten. Yeah. Uh, just gonna say this up front. The Greek gods were um, capricious and malicious, and the Roman versions were actually fairly decent. And Hestia was pretty chill all around. Yeah. I mean, Hades. Hades was like second place for being a chill god. Like, when he fucked you up, you definitely earned it. Yeah. Like, don't try to steal his wife, Perseus. Yeah. Or, no, that wasn't Perseus, that was Theseus. Theseus tried to steal his wife. I I mean, every, every Greek hero was trying to steal someone else's wife. Yeah. That's, that's why we're here today. Talking about someone who... Well, in the, in the Song of Achilles, Achilles doesn't actually sleep with Bryces. He, he isn't really attracted to women to begin with. 
<laughs> Wank. Did we I'm, mention it's Pride Month? Yeah. I mean, he did sleep with the one princess from Skyros, but that was more because his mom told him to, because she's like, hey, you gotta continue your line. I'm gonna raise your son. It's in a prophecy. Sorry, I can't help you. Anaki <laughs> says so. Sorry, he dated a woman from Skyrim? Skyros. Was Achilles the Dovahkiin? I mean, he gets treated like the Dovahkiin. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many prophecies going on in this, this story, okay? <laughs> and as we know with Greeks, you can't fight fate. Everybody dies. Even if yeah. you try to cheat fate, fate's gonna find a way to make sure that you fulfill that prophecy. Oedipus. <laughs> <laughs> No, my favorite is, I can't remember whose dad it was, but it was like, it was another one of those, your son's gonna kill you one day. And so the dad says, fine, I'm gonna yeet him off a cliff. And then he gets, I don't know, rescued by seagulls or some shit and raised, and then he becomes a hero. And then later he, he goes to the Olympics and they're like, hey, you wanna throw this sweet shield? And he's like, sure. And he just whips it into the distance and decapitates some old dude. And he's like, whoops, well, good thing that was an old dude and not my dad. <laughs> Years later, oh no! Da 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 da! <laughs> yeah. So, Song of Achilles is a. This is written. It took the author ten years to write. So, from twenty twelve, uh, reinterpretation okay. of uh, the Iliad, specifically focusing on the relationship between uh, Achilles and his boyfriend Patroclus. Okay. I'm just saying boyfriend because, like, this is an old-ass interpretation, too. Like, there was debates going back to, like, Socrates. Did Socrates say no homo? Uh, no, I think it was Yege. Uh, <laughs> Xenophon was the one who's like, no homo, but everybody else is like, yes, homo. <laughs> We're the Greeks, everything's homo. I know! <laughs> Helen Sparta was, like, the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, that, so that documentary you sent me, um... You were like, here, <laughs> Lindsay sends me a documentary at 11 p.m. It's like, if you can watch this before our recording, the I'll just give you an idea of the aesthetic I'm going for. And I'm like, okay, sure. So I open up the link, and first it's almost two hours long. So I immediately set that thing at 1.5 speed. And then I have it playing in the background while I'm playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> so the no most notable thing that popped out to me was right at the end, where the BBC announcer voice was like, and then join us next week, where we go to a place where homosexuality is mandatory, and everyone beats the shit out of each other. It's Sparta! <laughs> also, they weren't allowed to have money. God, this is the future liberals want. <laughs> um, yeah, so the documentary in question it was about the Mycenaeans, because the thing about... Song of Achilles, what I want to do is adapt it into a movie. Because, like, this is a very cinematic book. The writing is beautiful. It can easily translate into an amazing script. Um, it actually follows the events of the Iliad and most legends regarding Achilles fairly closely. And this is this is also helped by the fact that Madeline, Madeline Miller, the author, is a classicist. So she knows her Homer. She's classist? She's someone who knows her Homer very, very okay. well. She paid attention in her Greek class. She's Hellenic. Yes, she is very Hellenic. So, the thing is, the Iliad is set in the Bronze Age. 
And the yeah. Bronze Age is kind of like this mythical period for the Iron Age people, the like classical Greece. So they kind of treated it weird. They kind of treated it like how we treat the early Middle Ages in the modern world. Where we're just like, yeah, there, there's probably a few dragons here yeah. and there. Yeah. Same sort of shit. And the thing with like adapting stories that are set during the Heroic Age, which is also basically the Bronze Age, is that with movies, they tend to make everything look like it's from classical Greece. And I understand why. That's very familiar. We have a lot of imagery from the classical period to draw upon to get, like, a look. Yeah. The Bronze Age stuff is a bit weirder looking. <laughs> um, so all the guys are going to have long hair. Nice. Super long hair. Uh, the women's fashion, there's going to be a lot of titties hanging out. I mean, I would expect that from any era of Greece. Yeah. But this is like, on festival days, you're gonna wear a blouse that doesn't have a front. And just, <laughs> the girls are there for all to see. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be getting a hard R. Tits and gore, just everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of butt. A lot of naked, yeah. Yeah, so I won't be summarizing the entire fucking Iliad, but basically... Okay, maybe a quick summary. Um, or at least for the Song of Achilles. So, it's mainly told from the point of view of Patroclus, who is generally treated as a side character. And in that piece of shit movie, Troy, he is Achilles' cousin. He basically... <laughs> basically like how Sailor Moon treated Uranus and Neptune. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, now, here's the thing, though. Or, well, okay... I don't know for certain. I'm not sure how much of a cultural overlap there is between Bronze Age Greece and most of the time England. But they fucking loved marrying your cousin over there. So yeah. I I wouldn't be shocked if in the olden days it's it's not your sibling, it's your cousin. Your cousin's fair game, dog. Yeah. It probably wasn't that bad because like in this time they also did a whole bunch of concubinage. <laughs> That's a new word. Basically, a lot of concubines and a lot of other, like, official wives, too. So you got a wide selection. Like, Ramesses II, who is a contemporary to these guys, if, like, the Iliad was real, and, well, most historians think that the Trojan War was based on a national conflict over Troy. Troy is a real place, I must reiterate. There is a site, there are multiple layers of it. Heinrich Schliemann probably destroyed the actual late Bronze Age level that he was looking for. It's like with most most historical or most legendary stuff. It, it's based on things that happened, it's just the details were lost to time, and so they were filled in with more fantastical stuff. Yeah. And I will give uh, Madeline Miller a lot of credit for, uh, unlike the piece of shit movie Troy... The gods play an important role. Who uh, who played Patroclus in the piece of shit movie Troy? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't remember. I remember that Brad Pitt played Achilles. So are they going to have the Brad Pitt hair? Because he had long hair. Yeah, of course. Oh, it was Garrett Hedlund. Oh, of Tron Legacy, and I don't know what else he's been in. Oh, fuck, he was in Aragon. Oh, oh. God, we're going to have to do Aragon one day. 
Did you read Aragon? Because I didn't read Aragon. I did not read Aragon, but I saw the movie, and I picked a copy up for like two bucks at the Value Village because I figured I should. Okay. <laughs> it was one of those days I went in like, today I'm going to buy all of those kids' books I missed. Here's an Artemis Fowl. Here's an Aragon. Here's a Silverwing. Yeah. Oh no, Silverwing was from a different trip when I decided I was going to pick up all the books about violent animals. Oh yeah, that's an entire subgenre. Because, you know, for kids. <laughs> Here, children, here's the animated version of Watership Down that's totally about cute little bunnies doing cute little bunny shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was mainly thinking about Warrior Cats, which I still haven't read, but I hear that they fuck each other up. Yeah, and also, they fuck. They're very DTF. And all cats retelling of the, <laughs> the Trojan War. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Okay. The Trojan horse is just a big sofa. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, Patroclus is generally considered a side character. He gets to be the main POV. Um, so he was the son of a king, and he accidentally killed a kid, and he was already his dad's least favorite child anyway. So he gets sent up to Peleus, uh, the king of Thaya, who is the father of Achilles, so they get raised together. At first, Patroclus is very jealous of Achilles, because Achilles was held up by Patroclus' dad as being the ideal son. And mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to measure up to him when he's also the son of a sea nymph, and it's later revealed at the end of the book, of the whole pro prophecy regarding Achilles, is that if the fetus had been um, had been involved with another god, Zeus, her child would have overthrown him. Huh. Yeah, he kind of was an Athena-level issue. So, I, I, <laughs> in addition, they they were really slamming the no-homo button on the movie, Troy. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because um, in addition to Patroclus being Achilles' cousin, uh, Garrett Hedlund and Brad Pitt were 21 years apart in age. Mm-hmm. They didn't really look it, though. But Brad Pitt only started aging recently, so... Yeah, that's a good point. Although, he, with the long hair, he definitely showed his age. Yeah. Who should play Achilles in this? Oh, because in the books, they most of the action takes place between... They were 16 at the start of the Trojan War. They're 27 by the time they die. I know someone would suggest... Uh, Timothy Chalamet for at least one of the characters, <laughs> no. but I'm like... Oh, fuck no. no. Timothy Chalamet can be Paris. Tim Timothy Chalamet yeah. can be the disgustingly pretty boy who shows up and is like, let's, let's make concerningly hot babies together, Helen. And she's like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> also, I wouldn't mind if Helen... She doesn't even really appear in this. Uh, book, but if we get like a glimpse of her, I wouldn't mind her being played by a slightly older but insanely hot actress. I feel like Ava Green doesn't look slightly older enough. Like someone in their 30s, I guess, would be slightly older by ancient Greek standards. Oh, okay. Because I, I was thinking like 40s. Ah. We, we, we are going to have to shift the ages. Yeah, uh, because the Greeks were rather uncomfortable with how young everybody is involved in this. We, we cannot be slathering 16-year-old boys up in olive oil. That's going to raise some concerns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what if Helen was played by Tandy Newton? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And we don't have to go too hard on the actual Mycenaean makeup, which was rather intense. I knew it was, it was like it was like a Padme makeup from Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. But that was also like a special occasion thing because the lady in the documentary who was like demonstrating it said that they back in the day they used like lead, like white lead. Yeah. Which is ooh, not something that we would use today, thank God. Also, I don't fully trust that lady's opinion because she's like, look at this. Look at this hideous makeup. It looks it makes him look like a doll. It makes him look like a puppet. This is just this is destroying the inherent femininity of the person. And it's like, hey, maybe the beauty standards are just different, dog. Hence the free titties. Yeah. <laughs> and also maybe the point wasn't, you know, putting on makeup so that it looks like you don't have makeup on like it is nowadays. Yeah, oh yeah, no, the Greeks don't give a shit about the natural look. They they want the divine clownery. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also why I'm like, Thetis should be played, like, in my mind when I was reading this book. Well, actually, I was listening to it on Audible. And the voice that the narrator used was a very inhuman-sounding voice. And she's described very, almost Elrichian terms. There's something about the Greek gods that Patroclus just... Feels really uncomfortable around. She's played by a... Oh, what if all the gods are like Jim Henson's puppets? <laughs> I know, no, no, like, and, I, and I'm not talking like a Kermit the Frog. Oh, I'm you're talking, talking more like, um... Like some Farscape stuff. Okay. Whereas, like, they're, they're designed... They're designed to look as human as they can, but they're all puppets and, like, animatronics and suits and whatnot. So it's very, like, we are aiming for the Uncanny Valley. Okay, I was just thinking of putting, like, Kate Blanchett into weird makeup and all that, because, like, in my mind, I had images of Galadriel from uh, Fellowship of the Rings when Frodo offered her the ring and she went all, like, weird for that hot second. Oh yeah, that also works. Yeah. And she's got a very goddess feeling to her. So, yeah, the the big points that this movie has to hit is, like, early childhood, which can be, like, mostly montage. Uh, there's a time with Chiron where they finally realize that, yeah, we're totally hot for each other, let's bone down. Uh, (laughs) 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 And then, um, they get the news about Helen being taken to Troy by Paris. It's left a bit ambiguous about how the situation happened, but, um, I, my personal interpretation is that Helen did get bored of Menelaus. <laughs> uh, House Atreides is just, mm, their men are, mm, They're a little sus. All of them are super sus. Ugh. <laughs> uh. And then, Thetis, who works in mysterious and weird ways and vaguely talks about a prophecy and doesn't like Patroclus because she sees him as beneath her son, uh, whisks Achilles off to Skyros where he hides as a woman for a hot second and also manages to father son with the local princess because mom says so. <laughs> Basically, he's figured out by Odysseus because Odysseus, he's a smart mm-hmm. <laughs> um, In my mind, probably this is because of Loki. But Odysseus had strong Tom Hiddleston vibes, but he was also, like, he's constantly talking about his wife. Penelope, he is very much in love with his 
very much in love with Penelope to the point where the other hero who comes along with him, Daimonides, is like, I'm going to jump off this fucking ship if he talks any more about Penelope. <laughs> <laughs> like, remember Mace Hughes from Full Metal Alchemist who won't stop talking about his wife and daughter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Odysseus even had his uh, the bow spirit, like the figurine on the bow of a ship. The carving is basically Penelope. <laughs> uh, so, so we are gonna have to. That's gotta be a cameo by a, that's the image of a famous actress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my beautiful wife. <laughs> And then just th- this image of Barbara Streisand <laughs> on the sea. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of anyone else who people would recognize immediately. Yeah. I'm no Angelina Jolie. Oh yeah, that'd be another good one. Yeah. And haha, that's a funny reference. Yeah, because she's already played goddesses and Greek queens before. She was Olympias and Alexander the Great, which... Um, so funnily enough, Achilles is actually the, or at least according to the Greek legend, is the ancestor of um, Alexander the Great through okay. Alex's mom, Olympias. He is also descended from Hercules through his dad, Philip. So mm-hmm. that's a pedigree. <laughs> it's like, uh, no wonder he was the man who would be a god. Yeah. And um, there was a movie made by Oliver Stone about Alexander the Great, which also had the balls to show him as a bisexual man, which nice. he was. I would even say that Alex was straight up gay. Okay, so it apparently took Alexander the Great a bit longer than his mother wanted to, you know, start getting a wife and fathering children because we need to continue this line. Otherwise, it's going to go to your uh, very incompetent younger half-brother yeah. who was birthed from a woman I don't like, <laughs> Alex. And he's like, no, I like men. And she's like, here's this high-class courtesan, please fuck her! (laughs) I am once again asking you to make a baby. (laughs) Just, you don't have to like this kid or anything, you don't have to raise this child. We'll do that. Look, close, lay back and think of Sparta. Yeah. Or in Alexander the Great's case, Macedonia. Um, okay, here's here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. If you really, really need an heir, I'm sure you could wander into the woods and just find a kid that was abandoned by a different king because prophecy said he was going to kill his dad. <laughs> yeah. Why, why was there not an ancient Greek baby trading thing set up? <laughs> Just to make sure that all the kids are raised by different dads so that they would be out wouldn't be able to logistically kill their own dads. And they would still all kill their dads, but at least someone should have tried. Yeah. <laughs> you at least tried to raise these kids right. Uh so there's a Skyrus episode and then you actually get to Troy and at first everything like seems great. Like, yeah, we're totally gonna beat the Trojans to get Helen back, or hell, we might be able to even just parlay with them and get her back. And not have to fight. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but no, it drags out for ten fucking years. Because, well, the walls of the city of Troy were built by Poseidon and are guarded by Apollo. Unfortunate. Yeah. 
Those are, um, that's some top tier security right there. Fuck, we're gonna have to seduce Apollo. <laughs> Nobody wants to seduce Apollo. <laughs> Someone definitely tried to seduce Apollo in an attempt to, like, drive the sun, didn't they? Uh, no. Uh, the sun chariot thing was Helios, who eventually got syncretized with Apollo, and that was his son, who was like, I can totally do what Dad does! Ah. Uh. But most often, uh, Apollo tries to seduce other other women, and they generally are left very unsatisfied. Or they turn into laurel trees. You're in his DMs. <laughs> I'm a tree. <laughs> We're not the same. <laughs> Also, Apollo is going to have to be a terribly beautiful actor, too. He does make a, a cameo appearance. Or we just CGI him. Or do puppets. A really sexy puppet. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this is going to be a movie that has a lot of, like, big action scenes and all that, but also there's a lot of character depth and emotion and, like, Patroclus and Achilles have all the feelings for each other, but also Achilles is kind of a... I don't want to say space cadet. He came off more as, like... He has a big ego. He's a bit of a himbo. <laughs> <laughs> the first himbo. <laughs> he means well. He fights really well. He is also oh so pretty. <laughs> Not just pretty. He is described as being impossibly beautiful, but I think that's more the god side coming out. And one of the things that uh, Theodos warns Patroclus is that, um, yeah, my son is a bit too trusting of people. Looking straight at Odysseus, who is always trying to get out of shit. Odysseus's first scene in this book is him trying to get out of having to swear an oath of loyalty to the suitors of Helen. Because he's like, well, I'm already married to her cousin, but I'm like, fine, I, if I'm here... If you're gonna make me do it, fine. Yeah. But under protest. Yeah. So, the thing here with the story is the two main characters do die at the end. Do they have to? Can we not pull an inglorious bastards? <laughs> well, they do get reunited together in Hades, which, I don't know, it's an unlife. They do live forever afterwards. And also, Achilles basically gets a, a hero cult. He straight up gets worshipped as a god. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, we like I because I, I would definitely say, oh, they get to meet back together in the Elysian Fields. Yeah. Which is where all the heroes go. Yeah, I would like to say, because I know you said you wanted to make this a film and the stuff about how it has a really good script and is like is very cinematic and whatnot, but. Considering it's a Greek story and Greek's the home of the theater, have you considered making it a stage play? Yeah, that might actually work too. Because I don't think we've ever done that here except, oh no, I made I made the Empire Records musical, but that was it. That's the only time we went to the stage. Yeah, I didn't consider making this a, a play. And I know that there were ancient Greek versions of the uh, Iliad in the form of plays. For the Dionysia Festival. Mm -hmm. Which is where we get most of the ancient Greek plays. Which are the best interpretation and are basically fan fiction. Woo! Yay! Yeah. I can't believe it. The Greeks invented podcasting. 
The Greeks invented everything. Give me a word, any word, (laughs) and I'll show you how the root of that word is Greek. (laughs) Starts burning Windex on everything. Yep. (laughs) I just feel like this the story is big enough that it would warrant a movie. I have no idea like how like the visuals would work. For a stage play, that's my my thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can you can do a lot with. Okay, so like Wicked, which I I've only seen like recordings of it, but they have a lot of puppetry and animatronics and stuff going on in Wicked. Same with Lion King. Like they're they're a fucking expensive place to produce, but yeah. there is stuff that you can pull off on stage, and like no one expects it to be identical. Like. You go to theater, you suspend your disbelief, you see seven people on stage, and you're told that it's an army, and you say, okay, yeah, this is an army. Okay. I guess, like, (laughs) my whole thing was I came up with the movie idea while listening to the book. Okay, no, like, that's totally fair. Like, I I just wanted to throw that out there, because I thought that might be an interesting twist. Yeah. But if (laughs) if it is literally too big for the stage, (laughs) I understand. Yeah, like, I, I think... My one spin on, like, a possible stage play adaptation would be to do it more like an ancient Greek play style, where, like, the char- the actors are wearing masks, and you have, like, a literal chorus somewhere. Okay. But then that would just be, like, pretty much a, a reproduction of one of- an actual Iliad play. Yeah. Except that maybe it's a bit gayer. I mean, they were pretty... <sighs> I guess it was more, like, in-text interpretation. Mm. Though everybody was like, they're using words that are specifically used in this particular context, which is very gay. Yes. (laughs) They used the gay conjugation. (laughs) The other thing, like, aside from gay representation, and I'm also trying, like, with the whole avoiding the barrier gays trope, because yes, they do die, but they do meet up in the afterlife, Achilles becomes a fucking god. Um, I mean, we could just make everybody gay except for Odysseus. Yeah. Everyone's sick of him bragging about his wife because they can't relate. <laughs> Look at her beautiful face and her beautiful breasts. Yeah, they're okay, I guess. Well, also, he's like, and she is so smart! <laughs> just keeps on talking about like all these clever things that she does and how she's so creative <laughs> and Diomedes is like I, I'm i gonna walk into the sea Odysseus bye Odysseus you do you I love that you're attracted to a big brain girl but I, I need myself a guy <laughs> who is true of heart and dumb of ass <laughs> So, I want fucking chariot battles, because the one thing about the Iliad is that while it um, brings, it has so many references to the Bronze Age, so much stuff got preserved, but it also has Iron Age attitudes when it comes to combat. So, the bow and arrow is seen as a cowardly weapon, and it's used by, by Paris, who is admittedly a very cowardly character. There, if this were a comedy, there would be a lot of not my face. (laughs) (laughs) 
And yeah, uh, Aphrodite intervenes a lot because nobody messes with her OTPs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's directly responsible for this OTP, too. Yeah. (laughs) She has a lot invested in this OTP. (laughs) But, like, back in the Bronze Age, the bow and arrow was, like, the archery was the weapon of kings. Yeah. And chariots were also... They were basically used like how we in the modern day use tanks. There was even different, like, classes based on weight for chariots. Nice. Yeah. The Mycenaeans, like, a really nice light one that can, like, zip around all over the battlefields. The Hittites, like, a heavier thing. The Egyptians were kind of like a medium build because they... It had to compensate for sand. Yeah. Well, and also, like, I feel like a lot of people associate the Trojan War with naval warfare, just because of that phrase, the face that launched a thousand ships. Yeah, when really they weren't... Naval warfare wasn't really a thing until a bit later, because humans hadn't really gone, like, solid boats down. Yeah, didn't couldn't really figure out how to do it. Yeah, like, they had boats, and they were trading long distances, but, like... You couldn't keep them on the water for a very long time. Uh, and this is very particular to the Eastern Mediterranean. And what I learned from a uh, ancient Greek history class is that there is a specific like worm that lives in the Eastern Mediterranean that will fucking destroy boats if you keep them in the water for too long. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, they'll just like go through wood like fucking a hot knife through butter. Dang. So that's why, like, we the, got a boat worm. Yeah, so the ancient peoples of the Near East, they would sail all day. They would try to get out as early as possible, sail for as far as they can, and then they would beach their boats every night so that they wouldn't basically get eaten. So, like, this is mostly a, a land war, and the area around Troy is prime, like, chariot and cavalry land. The Trojans were known for their horses. Wink. Ah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You walked right into that one, but to be fair, so did the Trojans. Yeah. I think there was one guy who tried to be like, it's a trap, and then got bitten by a giant snake. Because the gods were like, we also want this war to end. Plus, like, they didn't want to be rude. But also, don't trust Greeks bearing <laughs> gifts. Don't trust Greeks bearing gifts. Yeah. So, yeah. Lots of, uh, we're gonna have to invest in drones for this one. Because, <laughs> like, that's the best way to get, like, those big wide shots now. Yeah, that's true. I'm building a neat set somewhere in, like, ideally, I would film this in, like, Greece or Turkey, but if not, California would do. Similar looking land. Lots of water. Yeah. So, circling back to the whole barrier gaze trope, what I want to make clear with particularly Achilles' death, um, like, aside from the prophecy, and it's also Paris' fault, um, basically, the entire, like, Achilles in his tent, he and Agamemnon not getting along, and the whole stuff about Bryces, um, that's all fucking ego. They have big fucking egos, these men. Hmm. Well, basically what happens, like, there's this character, Bryces. Uh, she's taken as a war prize, but she's actually treated very well. She isn't even, like, touched by Achilles. Achilles barely acknowledges 
she's there. Uh, Patroclus is the one who mostly interacts with her. And also, Patroclus is ambiguously bi. Okay. He does find a couple of women attractive, including Gracie's, but his heart belongs to Achilles. <laughs> He's like, if I didn't know Achilles, I would probably marry Bryces. So, yeah, she and the other women who are taken by uh, Achilles and his followers, the Myrmidons, uh, are treated very well. Then there's the whole thing with Chrysi. She's the daughter of a priest of Apollo, and she herself is a priestess of Apollo, and Apollo gets pissed off when she isn't returned to her father. And one of Apollo's uh, domains is plague! Uh-oh. Yeah, so plague spreads throughout the Greek camp, and you're like, what the fuck did we do? Oh, God. And everybody's like, Agamemnon, gotta get that girl back to her dad. That's, like, the only way that the gods are going to be at least, like, not killing us off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he grudgingly does that, but then he's like, I want Achilles' war wife. And he's like, fuck no, you ugly-ass horn dog. (laughs) And then they get into a fight, and he's Agamemnon starts questioning Achilles' prowess as a soldier and a fighter in front of everybody. Which, if you're a manager of people, and you're trying to dress down someone, don't do it in front of everybody else. Yeah. So this is where the fight between them starts. It's a whole lot of male ego, and yeah, fragile male ego. But, like, this is an era where you can't verify facts about a person in, like, a heartbeat. So Mm -hmm. your reputation is the only thing you have, and your ego is the only thing you have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's where we get the Achilles in his tent episode, and eventually it's like, Achilles, you gotta fight! You gotta inspire the men! They're gonna start hating you! So Patroclus is like, put me in your armor, all I'll do is, like, go out on your chariot, run around a bit, come back, I'll be fine, okay? I'll be fine! We'll put the men up into some excitement, you'll be a hero again! Please! The charges are gonna, like, batter down our walls. And then poor guy dies, because he gets a bit too excited. Like, he takes down one of the Spartan warriors, a guy called Sarpedon, who's the son of uh, Zeus and is a fucking giant, apparently. Okay. And then Apollo is like, hey, come climb the wall. Come take over the wall. You can totally do it. And then <laughs> Patrickles is like, I'm gonna take that fucking wall. Starts climbing up. See so is Apollo, and Apollo's like, ha ha ha, picks him up and drops him down. And then Patroclus tries again, picks him up, drops him down. <laughs> and then the Spartans, or the Spartans, <laughs> Trojans surround him and then go stabby stab stab. And that's where you get the Rage of Achilles. Mm-hmm. Then eventually Hector, you get this very human moment with uh, Achilles and Priam where Prime sneaks into the Greek camp and is like, can I please have my son's body back so that he can have a proper burial? And eventually Achilles is like, yeah, because I actually respect you. And I understand grief now, because my boyfriend's dead. And I don't know how to handle this. Then eventually he gets killed by Paris, and then that son that I talked about, that he had with the 
Princess, yeah, his name is Neoptolemus. He's also called Pyrrhus. He arrives and he is a piece of, like, creepy shit. <laughs> like a little Joffrey Baratheon, except, like, without the hair trigger temper. Which I find is scarier. And uh, they finish up, so they go home. There's a monument race to Achilles, but the problem is Patroclus was never given the full funeral rites. Like, his body was disposed of, uh, his and Achilles' ashes were mixed, but Patroclus' ghost basically wanders around for the next while until after the end. And at the very end of the book, and I want this to be the end of the movie, Patroclus and Thetis don't like each other. And they made it clear why they don't like each other, but eventually they have they sit down and have a heart-to-heart in front of Achilles' monument. And they talk about Achilles and why he's so special. We learn the full prophecy, including the whole, if I had been, like, uh, if I had an affair with Zeus, I would have produced a child that would have overthrown him, which I should have. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted to burn up the mortality out of Achilles because he was immortal. And she's like, my son's going to die before me if he doesn't become a god like me. There's a lot of media about children of divine beings, Percy Jackson series. Yeah. I haven't read them. I don't know if this is ever addressed, but like, it's got to be hard for divine parents if they do take a vested interest in their demigod children about the whole mortality thing. I, th- I think, I, I haven't read Percy Jackson either, but I think the way they get around that is uh, most of them don't. <laughs> oh. Most of them yeah. don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, it must be hard for those who do. Because, like... Yeah. No, I think, like, I think in Percy Jackson, the like, the only reason Poseidon takes an interest in Percy is because he was framed for stealing the lightning bolt. And he's like, okay, well, I care about you because that I'm legally obligated to for uh, the span of time. Yeah. Well, at the very least, Thetis cares in her own way. And... Patroclus outlines everything that he loved about Achilles. Like, he was an amazing singer and a beautiful athlete, and he was a genuinely good person, a very humane person. As I said, he's a bit of a himbo. (laughs) Um, Which is helped by Patroclus being there. There's uh, one vision that Patroclus has, or at least an imagine spot where he can see Achilles, like, what would have happened if Achilles had been solely raised by Thetis? And he sees him in, like, this black armor. You you can barely see the eyes. There's almost, like, a human quality to him. And it's like all of his humanity got stripped out. Hmm. And what's freaky about Neoptolemus is that he is Achilles. He has the skill of Achilles, but he doesn't have Achilles' humanity. Mm-hmm. They have this really touching talk, and I cry. Oh. <laughs> and then finally, Thetis is like, "I will put your name on the monument because you helped my son. Mortals aren't that bad, and there's this lovely quality to humans." Where I think this is part of Greek philosophy. I'm not entirely sure, but like the thing about mortals, what kind of makes us unique compared to the divine is that we only have such a short amount of time to live in comparison to the gods that we 
feel all of these things all at once and we have to make the best of our lives. <sighs> yeah, so it should end with a shot of the monument. Um, gonna have to do some digging on what the, on what this actual monument looked like because there was a genuine monument dedicated to Achilles and Patroclus near Troy that was visited by Alexander the Great, who, like, made uh, sacrifices and libations with his boyfriend, Hephaestion. <laughs> so yeah, that's where this should end. And there should be no sequels to this. And I want this to be a big blockbuster. <laughs> I can see it being a big blockbuster. <laughs> Sorry, Achilles, that was a bit all over the place, I will admit. Um, this is my second drink of the day. I mean, you covered a lot of really important stuff. You did, you did quite good, good, good job. <laughs> the gods would be cr- proud. Yeah. Um, there, there is one other thing I have to ask you, but I have to. I, I lost the thread. I have to go back and find where that thread was. Right. So you mentioned that Patroclus said he really liked Achilles' singing voice. Now, would Achilles' singing voice be, pr- uh, would Achilles' singing voice be provided by Josh Groban, <laughs> who famously? Wrote the credit song for Troy. Okay. Troy is a piece of shit movie, but I did get the whole scene where Achilles and Priam, like, meet and talk about returning Hector's body. Like, correct? And it was all thanks to Josh Groban. I'm not opposed to Josh Groban. I just think that Josh Groban is a bit of an easy pick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, we'd have to find a an impossibly beautiful 20-something actor who can also sing and isn't opposed to learning how to play a liar properly. He might be a bit old because he did just turn 30, but he certainly doesn't look the part. What if Chris Colfer? Chris Colfer played Kurt on Glee, and you're pro- <laughs> if you look at pictures of him on Glee, they're probably not going to do him justice because he is definitely um, buffed up since the show ended. Um, I don't know how much combat training he has, but he definitely knows how to use size, so I'm sure he'd be happy to learn how to use a sword and whatnot. Yeah. Like, for movies like this, they always give the actors combat training. And he's gay! Yay! We'll probably have to get separate actors to play them as teens. Yes. Does it, like, have them start and, like, this is their training with their, uh, buff centaur daddy, and then... Oh, yeah, they also get an episode with Chiron. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. You mentioned that Chiron is the one who kind of like broke the ice between them, and then they were all over each other. Yeah. Ha- have the, 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 pre- the prelude with their hot centaur daddy, and then they learn to be gay with each other, and then you time-skipped like halfway through the Trojan War, or even just however long we need to be through the Trojan War to say, oh my god, we've been at this forever. Yeah. But now we've turned into Chris Colfer and, I don't know, Tyler Posey from Teen Wolf. <laughs> Can be Patroclus. Yeah, well, Patroclus is described as being like skinny and slighter, and not that great at combat until he finally dons Achilles' armor to pretend to be him. Timothy Chalamet. No, he's playing Paris. Half of the movie is played by Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> For this movie, I actually do want mostly like Greek and Turkish actors in Yeah. Here. Yeah, the, we we should err more on the side of uh, POC. Greek, Turkish, uh, Middle Eastern, Egyptian. I mean, they were neighbors. It it makes sense that there's a lot of overlap. 
Yeah. But yeah, re- remember the fact that Greece is right beside Egypt. There's going to be a lot of melanin in here. Mm-hmm. And also, it's fucking sunny. <laughs> yeah. We sure as shit are not pulling a gods... What was it? Gods and monsters? G- gods of Egypt. Gods Gods of Egypt. Yeah. Or even Clash of the Titans, which, again, like... That's the wrong look! Mm-hmm. That's really the, the wrong look. You're looking too classical. Now, this is normally the part of the show where we play a friendship promo. However, like last week, we are currently asking you to donate, or at the very least, spread awareness of Black-focused charities and movements. This week, we are specifically highlighting Justice for Tony McDade, the Black Legal Action Center in Canada, and the Retirement Fund for Miss Major Griffin Gracie. Thank you. So, Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. It's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart, and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are letters for not a fire boot you first, and they're pronounced... Uh, and they slapped his face on every vase. On every vase. And then she smashes the vase on the funny muse's head. Anyways. Ah, uh, you can also email us at notafireboutyoufirst at gmail.com or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your favorite use for olive oil. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised! And you can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can, find us on your podcatcher of choice and contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Not If I Reboot You First is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows we share the network with at CornerPodNet on Twitter. Last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay. What's uh, next week's hint? Next week, we're going to smoke some weed and make out with a junior meat king. I have to fucking finish the book so I can revise my notes. I have a, I have a week to finish the reading. The podcast ah. homework. I it's believe a book. in it's you. A, it's a book. It's a YA book. It's probably not one you've heard of, but it's one that's very close to my heart. Sounds awesome. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we're going to deal with that next week. And not if we reboot you first. Bye.